just a few minutes about last week. I, uh, I wrestled a lot after last week's service and just thinking and processing the morning and, and processing um, some of the things that the Lord had done and the Lord had spoken. And, and one of the questions that I asked over and over again was, uh, was, it, was, was the message that come forth, was it, was it too heavy? Was it too sober? Was it too much of a, of a, of a weighty thing? And I just wrestled with that all, all day, talked with my wife uh, all day into the night to the next day, processed with our staff, talked with uh, my brother and sister-in-law. We was over at their house. And, um, you know, for those of you who felt like uh, the tenor of last week with being Resurrection Sunday and the hope and the victory of the cross and the kingdom that are available for us, if in any way you left and you felt like, man, I, I, I felt like we didn't get the rest of the story today. I felt like, you know, the, the great hope and the victory of the kingdom wasn't, wasn't pronounced enough. I want you to know emphatically, emphatically, that both from the scriptures and in this house, that the victory of the kingdom that has come and the victory of the kingdom that is coming that is squarely where we put our hope and it is unequivocally what we believe and what we want to have happen. Uh, my sister-in-law actually had an incredible phrase that the Lord had given to her just a couple of days prior to last week's service. And it was this phrase, the sacred journey, the sacred journey. And it's very interesting because, you know, as we look at the light of the cross and uh, being in the empty tomb and all of the events that led up from Holy Week and even prior, all of that is a part of a very, very sacred journey that God is the author of. God is the author, he's the engineer, the architect, and the finisher of the sacred journey of our lives. And I love that phrase, sacred journey, because your journey and our journey in God, it's sacred. It's sacred, it's holy. It's not just something that we're, we're kind of fighting and battling and working and willing our way through. It's sacred because it belongs to God and God is deeply and intricately involved in the journey of our lives. And nothing is wasted. Nothing, absolutely nothing in God is ever wasted. You know, being involved in college ministry for many years, I have a lot of young adults that would come to me years ago. And uh, the big question in the heart and the mind of young adults is, what am I gonna do? What major am I gonna major in? What job am I gonna work? And who am I gonna marry? Those are like the three perennial questions that shape and define every young adult person's life for the most part. And, uh, and there's this kind of paralysis of fear that what if I miss it? What if I choose the wrong major? What if I choose the wrong job? And what if I choose the wrong person? And out of that, and obviously searching through the scriptures, I realize that God doesn't waste anything. That he takes a man by the name of Moses and he hides him in the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt where he was learning the language and the literature of the Egyptians, where he was receiving the highest level of education in the land. And then he sends them to the backside of a desert to thresh out some of the worldly elements of that. But it's not coincidental that the man who wrote the first five books and the most technical books of the Old Testament was a man that he placed under the courts of Pharaoh. Why is that? Because God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a thing. 
You know, all of those years that David was in the backside of, 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 of fields taking care of sheep and probably thinking, what, what is this all about? And, and even after he received the prophetic word for, from Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, even then he wasn't inaugurated as king. There were many, many years that took place before he was actually officially ordained as king. And it would have been very easy for him to say, this is all wasted. I'm hiding in caves. I'm running for my life, that wasn't wasted. God leveraged and he redeemed all of that. The life of Joseph, perhaps one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament that we see beginning in Genesis 39 through the rest of the chapter in Genesis. And we see this young boy at 17 years old receive this incredible, incredible word from God. And at any given moment of his sacred journey, he could have given up and abandoned that word. Wait a minute, you said that I am, am going to, I mean, the sun and the moon are going to bow down, stars are going to bow down, sheaves are going to bow down. That's not happening right now. In fact, my brothers are betraying me. They hate me. They hate me. He had to work through that. He had to hold on to hope and life and victory and strength in the middle of that segment of his sacred journey. And then he finds himself uh, being elevated. He's restored. He's working in this guy's house named Potiphar. And then all of a sudden Potiphar's wife, she accuses him. She lies about him. And, uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden he's in prison. And this is a part of his sacred journey. And there's something very, very interesting that uh, the Lord actually pulled out and revealed to me, I believe it was at the beginning of last year. I want to just show this to you because it's very, very curious. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis. Genesis. And we're going to look here. We're going to look at chapter 40. And we're going to hone in on the last verse here in verse 23. I've decided to suspend the our installment of the kingdom of God today, just with, with the waning of time, but also just to talk and process a little bit about what last week looked like for us. But in Genesis chapter 40, the context here, for those of you who are not familiar with the story, is this figure that I'm referring to, Joseph, this young boy. And um, he's somewhere between, well, at this particular part of the story, he's 28 years old. So 11 years ago, this young boy had received a dream, a word from God, a promise from God that spoke to his destiny, that spoke to his position, his purpose, his promise, and it spoke to his destiny, the way that God was going to use him. 11 years later is where the story is right now, 11 years later. And uh, Joseph is in a prison because someone falsely accuses him. By the way, if there's anybody in here today who's been falsely accused or you feel like you are in your situation unjustly, listen, keep your heart right. Keep your heart clean. Forgive, release. God is your vindicator. He is sovereign and he will never waste anything in your life. No pain, no trauma, no crisis, no injustice, no false accusation, no sickness will ever be wasted in the hands of a good and sovereign and powerful God. He is intimately acquainted with everything that has happened and is happening and he can put it all together to make something beautiful in your life. He's doing it and he's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. Genesis chapter 40. Joseph is now the chief attendant in a prison and there's two guys from the courts of Pharaoh 
that find themselves in this prison. And look with me if you would. We're just gonna fast forward here to verse 23. There's a cupbearer and there is a, what is that guy's name? There's a cupbearer and there is a baker, all right? So the baker didn't really have a good ending to his story. These guys both have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams for both of them. Baker, it's not working out too great for you. Uh, you're gonna die. Uh, Cupbearer, however, you're gonna, be reinst- you're gonna be reinstated. You're gonna be restored to your position before Pharaoh. And hey, listen, and when you are with Pharaoh again, remember me. Remember, this is what he says right here. Verse 23, uh, he says, Rem- remember me. And then look at verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember him. He forgot him. So I've been betrayed, I've been sold into slavery, I've been accused, I've served time in prison unjustly, I've gone out of my way, out of the benevolence of my heart to to leverage the gifts that God has given to me, I've interpreted your dreams, I've reinstated you back to your position of influence, and all I ask is that you remember me. Here's what it says, he did not remember him, he forgot him. Look at chapter 41, verse one. When two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. So between Genesis 40, 23 and 41, 1, between those two verses, there were two more years that Joseph had to be in that prison. Why? Why? God could have given Pharaoh that dream anytime he wanted to. And look at, look at 41.1, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Who'd that dream come from? That dream came from God. Why did God wait two more years to give Pharaoh this dream? Why'd that happen? I don't know, but I got some guesses. And one guess is this, that for whatever reason in the sovereign wisdom of God, God knew that Joseph still needed two more years in that prison that there was something that was being built into the fabric of this young man that was gonna be trusted with incredible prominence and authority that the only thing that could get get it in there was him being in that prison. Because what I understand here is that all the things were lining up The cupbearer was already released. Joseph had already functioned faithfully. And really, anytime God wanted to, he could have caused things to align in such a way that two years prior to him being released, he could have gone unless, in God's wisdom, he decided there's still something that needs to happen inside of you. The feeling of being forgotten and working through the feeling of being forgotten in this particular phase of his sacred journey. And God didn't waste it. God didn't waste him being accused. God didn't waste him being betrayed. God didn't waste him being forgotten. In fact, somehow God was using these things as instructors and trainers and mentors and coaches. He was using these things to form something internal and eternal in Joseph's heart that would sustain his kingdom influence and authority when God brought him where he wanted him to be. 
Isn't it interesting that when Jesus breaks the bread and he breaks the fish and he distributes it, and we all know this, that when he feeds the 5,000, and that's just men, so if we factor in children and we factor in wives, there is probably anywhere from 10 to 15, maybe even 10 to 20,000 people that Jesus fed with five small pieces of bread and two small fish, right? But here's what we find out. We find out that after everyone ate and everyone was full, we find out that there was stuff left over. And what did Jesus do? He commanded them to pick it up. You know why? Because he never wastes anything. He never wastes anything. And the reason why we can have hope in that is because his kingdom's begun. Because his kingdom has begun, we can say, God, I can have hope that all the broken pieces that have been distributed out in my life, that whatever is left over, you're not going to waste it. You're going to collect it and you're going to use it for redemptive purposes in my life because God is with you in the sacred journey of your life. We know this because Psalm 23 says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a very real thing known as the valley of the shadow of death. It's a metaphor, but many of us may have felt in our lives at this part of my sacred journey, I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't see hope. I don't see a ray of life. Here, listen, keep walking through that valley. You are not called to die in that valley. You're not called to sit down and give up in that valley. You're called to go through that valley of the shadow of death. Let hope arise in you. Let hope arise in you. Here's what we know in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. The scripture says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. In fact, let's just look there very quickly. Just a good word for somebody this morning. You know, one of the things that you're going to understand the longer you're in Antioch is that, is that some days that there will be a strong teaching anointing in the house. And we'll learn things like the imminence and the transcendence of God. And we'll bring out these big flowery theological words. And they're good. We need them. They're necessary. But then there'll be days when God will just release an apostolic anointing in the house and, and there'll be an apostolic plan to build and set things in order and just, just get things right strategically. And then there'll be days when God just breathes in and there'll be a prophetic unction for what God's doing in the region or for what God's doing corporately or for what God's doing personally. And listen, you can't peg God and you can't peg us. God's, you know, and so, you know, the flavor, the approach, the objective, it's going to change. And it's not because we're schizophrenic. It's just because that God is doing something unique and different. And we're following that. All right. But look right here in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse two. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let me just stop right there. He is the author. He is the author. You know what that means? It means that he holds the authority of our faith in his hands. Anytime you author something, you hold authoring rights. You hold ownership rights. He is the creator of our faith. He is the one who sets faith in motion in our lives. He's the source of our faith. He is the strength and the hope of our lives. He's the author of our faith. He writes our faith into existence. You can take hope in that today. 
You could take hope that wherever you are in the sacred journey of your life, the author of your faith has also promised you this in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you, he will walk you through to completion. He will walk you through to completion. He will walk you through to completion. This is why Jesus, why Jesus says in Matthew 18 or 28, 20, he says, I am with you until the very end of the age. Wherever you are in the journey, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I am speaking to you. I'm guiding you. I'm strengthening you. I'm bolstering you. I will send people to you. I will call messengers to you to help inspire you when you feel like your faith is low, but no part of your sacred journey is a mistake. It's not coincidental. It's not accident. And listen, listen, we can go through story after story and find people that were unjustly at the place where they were at in their journey, and God used every single bit of it. Every single bit of it. Keep your heart free from bitterness. Keep fight to keep your heart clean from resentment. Fight against hope deferred. That doesn't mean that there won't be seasons where we grief. Grief is a very real and natural thing. There won't be seasons, it doesn't mean there won't be seasons when we do feel discouraged. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid of discouragement. You shouldn't be afraid. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we in our faith mentalities, we get afraid of anything that just looks different than what, what God has promised. Don't be afraid of times of discouragement. The Psalms are full of discouragement. They're full of anger. They're full of betrayal. They're full of confusion. They're full of mystery. They're even full of doubt. This is what Jesus says when John the Baptist was in prison. You guys remember John the Baptist said, hey, are you the one? Are you the one? Wait a minute, you're the one who says he's the one. You're the one who says, now behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You're the one who says, there's one coming after me who's greater than I am. He's gonna, he's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And now you're going, are you the one? Yeah, I'm still the one. And this is what Jesus says, send back to him, tell him the things that are happening in the kingdom. Even John the Baptist got discouraged. And at this part of his sacred journey, at this part of where he was at, just just on the eve of being beheaded as a martyr before the Lord, Jesus encouraged him. The thing that you've been prophesying about, the thing you've been praying about, John, the thing you've lived your Nazarite life and then your Nazarite passion, the thing that you've given your life for, yeah, I'm the one. It's here, the kingdom's here. Well done, well done. You've participated with your role in bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. He doesn't waste anything. Friend, wherever you are right now, whatever you're walking through, whatever you've walked through, whatever you will walk through, I want you to know this. Because God's kingdom has come and God's kingdom is coming, we can take great hope. God is working and moving intimately in every part, in every portion of our lives, including our pain, including the things that we don't like, including the things that we don't understand. None of that belongs to the enemy. It does not not belong to the enemy. It belongs to God. Take your broken pieces, put them in his hands, watch him multiply those things and watch him touch the earth. Trust him. So Father, today we thank you that the ministry of your spirit is alive and well in our midst. 
Father, we thank you that you're forming us. You're shaping us, you're molding us. Father, we thank you that your hand is on our lives. Father, we thank you that you use every moving part of our lives and you use the quiet years and you use the silent years. Father, I don't know what was going on. I don't know why Joseph still had to be in that prison for two more long, arduous, forgotten years, but you deemed it necessary. And so Father, for those of us today who may feel like we're in a pit or a prison or may feel forgotten or feel abandoned or like the psalmist said over and over, how long will the evil prevail in this world, O God? Like the psalmist says, why have you forgotten me? Lord, for those of us in this room today that feel forgotten, that feel abandoned, like the psalmist said, Lord, in Psalm 10, why, Lord, do you stand far off? If that's you today, if you feel like God is standing far off, if you feel like he's hiding himself from you, this is a word for you today. He is not far away from you. He may feel far away, but he is not far away from you. Psalm 12, one scripture says, help Lord for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished. If you feel like you're standing alone, this is for you today. Psalm 13, one, the scripture says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? If you feel like that God has forgotten you or abandoned you or walked out on you. In fact, what I wanna address today is I wanna address this lie and I wanna address the lie that because of some shortcoming in your life or because you've not lived as good or you've not prayed as much or you've not been as faithful with your discipline, some tragedy has come upon you. I wanna take that off of you today. And if that's you, I just wanna pray for you. If you wouldn't mind standing up, if you're here today and you would say, you know, the enemy's been lying to me and he's basically been saying, you know, because of these mistakes or because of these sins in my life, this is why tragedy has hit my life. Friend, that is a lie. That is not the activity of a good father. That is not the activity of a good father. Now I understand that there's elements of spiritual warfare. I understand there's elements that are, that are very real in terms of generational iniquities and things of that nature. But what I'm addressing today is I'm addressing the condemning lie of the enemy. It says, if you just would have had your stuff together a little bit more, this wouldn't have happened to you. Friend, you're not punishable. I wanna say that again, you're not punishable. Do you know what that means? You know what it means when, when I say that sons and daughters are not punishable? means that God's not looking to try to punish you for what you did or you did not do. And he's not trying to bring tragedy to your life because of some element of shortcoming in you. In fact, I think this is for somebody. I wanna read this and declare this over you. In 1 John, I'm just so thankful for the faithfulness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Bring life and strength to us. 1 John 2, 1 says, this is for somebody, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, which we will, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? We've always interpreted this just in terms of, of, of just salvation. 
But I want you to know that when the enemy comes against you and he says, you know, this tragedy happened, this terminal cancer report came to your mom or your dad or your son or your brother because of some sin in your life, you go to 1 John 2. And you say, you know what? You know what, Mr. Prosecuting Attorney, I know you're right. Judge, I'd like to, I'd like to plead my case. I'd like to appeal. I'd like to appeal. And then your defense attorney, who is your advocate, Jesus, will stand up and he'll say, sir, uh, yes, I know our prosecution is absolutely right. This son, this daughter has, has, has totally done these things. But sir, I'd like to make an appeal based on the blood of Christ, my blood. And I'd like to remind you, sir, that my blood has absolutely covered everything that they've done and even the things that they haven't have done that they should have done. Listen, I want you to know today, if you look hard enough, you will find some reason to condemn yourself. You will. I'll be a little honest with you here. You know, when certain things that happened in our body last year took place, I remember I was driving up on Austin Bluffs and I, and I heard the voice of the enemy say this said, you did a Daniel fast this year, but if you would have done a full water fast, these deaths wouldn't have happened. Does that sound like a good father to you? Because I, th- I think, I just, I just have this little sneaky suspicion that if, if, if God wanted me to do a full water fast because he knew that in some way it would have contributed to his work, he would have told me. Friend, listen, take that guilt off of you. Take that condemnation off of you. Take that shame off of you. Take off of you the lie of the enemy that wants to imprison your relationship with God. It's not from God. A tragedy didn't happen in your life because God is trying to punish you or he's judging you. There are elements of judgment in the scriptures, but what I'm speaking of is the lie from the enemy that says that God unjustly punishes and judges his children with tragedy. Are you here with me this morning? All right, let me just pray. Father, I pray right now, grace. Lord, not a, not a cultural interpretation of grace that reduces it to what we want it to be, but the real, authentic, theological, weighty, pregnant, poignant, powerful grace that can only be defined as you. Father, I appeal to the redemptive power of God. I I appeal to your sovereignty today. I appeal right now to the fact that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. I appeal, God, that you are a healer in the midst of our pain. I appeal to all that you are, good God. And I pray, Father, that any twisted ideology that has been brought into our minds by the enemy or by good well-intentioned people that were off in their theology. Father, I ask today you would correct it. Just correct it by the spirit of truth. I stand on John 16, 13 that says the spirit of truth will guide us into truth. And right now, wherever you are on your sacred journey, may the spirit of truth guide you to truth. May the spirit of truth lead you into truth. May the spirit of truth lead your faith and your hope and your mind into truth. For the truth of God will set you free. It will liberate you. It will empower you. It will give you an acceleration and a momentum in life. So may the spirit of truth lead you today into truth. May the weight and the cares and the anchors of your soul and your mind May they be cast 
thoroughly on Christ. now hold unswervingly to this hope we profess. May the grace of the Lord, may the peace of God, may it rest on you, may it go before you, and may goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. God bless you, Antioch. Walk in your kingdom identity and your kingdom authority and your kingdom victory wherever you are in your sacred journey this week. In Jesus' name, amen.